0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. A little bit conflicted in that I know what story deserves our attention. However, I also know what's going on in that town, New York. So let me just say right off the top, I know that New York has been through a lot. I know that New York is going through a ton right now. The images of the rain and the floods are terrifying to me. Really, really scary. So my thoughts are with everybody in the path of Hurricane Ida, both as they deal with the immediate impact and the weeks and the months that are going to follow. I mean, it's a terrible thing. Really, really scary. So what I want to do off the very top is let you know my thoughts are with you. I'm thinking about you. And that is the thing. That is the main thing. And this is where I'm conflicted because that's the main thing. Having said that, and I want to let that breathe for a minute, that's my concern. Then you have this other thing, right? And it's kind of weird to start the show with this other thing, given everything that's going on there. But this other thing, of course, is the New York Mets. So with this in mind, and I am conflicted, why don't we talk about the Mets for a minute? Now, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again right now, and I'm sure I'll say it again pretty soon. But the New York Mets really are the absolute best. I mean that. Sincerely. Nobody else compares to the Mets. And I've got thoughts on the Yankees and how they look last night. And I'll get to that later on. But they can't measure up. Nobody can. Because just when you think the Mets have done it all, just when you think that they've gone to levels that nobody could even dream of, the Mets dig deep. And they find more. The Mets can always find more. I mean remember it was not that long ago the team owner Steve Cohen was tweeting about how terrible his hitters were. That was something. But because it was the Mets, I barely even noticed. I mean Mets are gonna met, right? And there's nothing more met than the owner tweeting about how crappy his hitters are. But then again because they are the Mets, you're going to have to do a hell of a lot more than that to get my attention. You're the Mets. Well, thankfully, they did just that. They did do more to get my attention. In fact, they went legend. Honestly, after Mets players started booing their own fans when they had success and saying that the fans had to do better, I was prepared at that point to send the entire team, all 25, right to Cooperstown. I mean, give them their plaques right now. In fact, get the whole organization their own wing in the Hall of Fame because it does not get any better than that. Just to reset that really quickly. A crappy team with underachieving players who somehow, someway stumble into a rare win and they use it as an opportunity to boo their own fans and tell them that they need to be better. <laughs> I mean, even now, what's better than that? Nothing. Even for the Mets. Or so I thought. After all, these are the Mets we're talking about. And as they've proven time and time again, you should never underestimate their ability to embarrass themselves on an epic scale, which is what they've done yet again. Because yesterday news broke that the interim GM, Zach Scott, was cited for DUI following an incident on Tuesday morning. Now, I know that a lot of what the Mets do is hilariously bad, and this is why I like them so much, but there's nothing lovable or hilarious about a DUI. It's just inexcusable. So before you come in here with your jokes that he's only one DUI away from being Tony La Russa, just stop. Don't do it. Driving under the influence has never been okay. But it's even more insanely reckless and selfish and stupid in an era of Uber, Lyft, and countless other options. And I'll get into the specifics of that in one moment. But there's simply no excuse for what this guy did. And here's what we do know at this point. Scott was busted at 4.17 a.m. Tuesday morning, sleeping in his car in Westchester County, New York. Yeah, because so many good things happen at 4.17 a.m. If you're getting up to go to work at 4.17 a.m., that's fine. But you should not be coming in at 4.17, nor should you be napping it out in your car at 4.17. Like, there are bad looks, and then there's getting tanked, allegedly, and being found napping it out at 4 a.m. in your car. So I'm just going to go ahead and say that Scott is not an unhoused person. There's no Ira Craig in this cat. I'm going to speculate that this guy actually does have a home, that this guy actually does have a bed, and that that home and that bed are not his Toyota. I'm going to speculate that this guy's got a home and a bed instead of napping it out in his Toyota down the street from the White Plains Police headquarters. I mean, that's bad, right? It gets worse. It gets worse. According to White Plains Police Captain James Spencer, Scott refused to submit to a breathalyzer test or give blood, but he did undergo a field sobriety test and he failed. No way. Shocker. You mean a dude who was napping it out in his Toyota at four o'clock in the morning who refused a breathalyzer and a blood test might not have been bleep canned? Or may have been. Yet, yeah, no way. Yet, yeah, maybe. All right, I'll play along. Maybe there is a good explanation for this. Maybe there's a good reason why the Mets interim GM, was asleep in his car at 4 o'clock in the morning in White Plains, New York. Maybe we've got it all wrong. Maybe this guy's in the right. Maybe joining CarNap Nation at 4 o'clock in the morning was the right move. Maybe doing that and refusing a breathalyzer and a blood test was the smart thing. Maybe we're missing something. Maybe. Yeah, but I really doubt that. I really doubt that. Because it gets even worse. According to reports, hours before he was arrested, he was at a fundraiser at the home of team owner Steve Cohen. A fundraiser for the amazing Mets Foundation. That's perfect. Because everything about this is amazing. Mets manager Luis Rojas told WFAN yesterday that he was at that same event. Along with a number of players. He said, quote, nothing crazy, end quote happened at the home, and that he and the players took a bus back from Cohen's house. And did you catch that part? There was a bus. So this guy did not just pass up on Uber and Lyft. He didn't just skip calling out for a town car. He passed on taking a bleeping bus. They had a bleeping bus, so something like this wouldn't happen. There was a bus at the house, and he decided, now I'm good. I think I'll drive myself. There was an actual drunk bus, and he skipped it. In a word, amazing. Amazingly stupid. You know what else is incredible? There is more. There is actually more. There is this quote from Scott, the same guy, three weeks ago, almost to the day, calling out his players for a lack of accountability regarding injuries. Check this out.
1: Most of the time, I'll be honest, it's compliance issues. Factually
0: following the plan because these are all individuals and control their own bodies. And, you know, sometimes they're not uh, as compliant as they should be. And that happens. I've
2: seen that happen in the past. you got to take ownership of, of your career and your health.
0: Holy crap. You want to talk about an ice-cold take Take ownership of your career and your health. Ownership like what? Getting bombed, allegedly, on a Monday night and napping it out in a car in white planes at four o'clock in the morning after being at a fundraiser at the owner's house? Is that what you mean by taking ownership of your career and your health? A dude admonishing his team for not taking ownership of their career and health is picked up a few weeks later, for napping it out in his car at 4 o'clock in the morning and pulling a Dewey. Man, that is rich. That is rich as hell. He's the richest man in Babylon. Man, that's incredible. Not getting blasted and napping it out in your car at 4 a.m. I mean, that'd be the dumbest, most reckless thing ever. But is there anything better than a GM calling out his own players for not taking control of their own bodies and not taking ownership of their careers and their health, and then going out and getting smashed, allegedly, falling asleep in his car, and setting fire to his own career in the process? Wait, 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 sorry. Did I just call Zach Scott the GM? My bad. Let me correct myself. He's actually the interim GM, and you know why that is? Remember why that is? Because he was brought in after the previous GM was fired in January for sending what were described as, quote, explicit unsolicited text and images, end quote, to a female reporter a few, week, few years earlier. So, in less than nine months, the team has had to fire one GM for sending unacceptable texts to a female reporter, and now they have to deal with his replacement, getting drunk, allegedly and falling asleep in his car in White Plains. In other words, keep doing you Mets. Oh, and on the field, the team has gone from first place at the end of July to a total wreck and a mess at the end of August. Man, it is so Mets. So Mets it hurts. Because nobody else could do this. Nobody else could have a week. Or a month like this. It would take most every other team in Major League Baseball years to come up with this many embarrassing moments. And yet these guys somehow are able to pull it off in a matter of months. I mean, nothing but respect, fellas. Nothing but respect. Your previous GM was a creep. And the replacement is a drunk. Allegedly. The new guy is getting busted for DUI and catching Z's in his car. And the team is taking another L. Man, there are bad teams in baseball. There are, but nobody does it like the Mets. It is their brand, and that brand is strong as hell. Again, I want to say there are much more important things happening in New York right now, things that are far more serious, things that have my thoughts, and by no means is the latest Mets mess the biggest problem there, but, man, that's ugly. That is so ugly yet again, and I'm sure that won't be the last thing we hear from these guys. I know for a fact, I will lead this show with another Mets take again soon, and it will be for all the wrong reasons again. So how do we lighten this up a little bit? Hmm, on a lighter note, at least they've got some company, right? The only one that got it worse was one David Wall. Who's that? Or better yet, who was that? Some attorney, Think I think, right? Definitely some attorney. I know something else. Remember the name Jeff Passan? Passan ain't playing. So David had the nerve to question Jeff's motives about his tweet about the Mets. Wool tweeted, quote, and I guess you're desperately trying to smear Cohen because you got nothing else to do, end quote. This is where I remind you that this is not a kid show because Jeff tweeted, and I quote, I suppose whatever I have to do, is better than what you have to do, which is visit your son in jail. Uh Uh Uh-oh! Why do you think I put Passan in the smack-off? David clearly does not listen to the show or else he would know how Jeff Passan rolls, namely body-bagging punks who come at him like Cal in Vegas that one time.
2: In that moment, I realized that I have a great job, a great wife. And two great kids. And you, Cal, have a radio show that is the domain of millions of others, and the desperate hope that whoever is screening calls that day happens to allow you access to airwaves that, frankly, deserve better than you. You scrape together a take, you barf it out, you hope above all hopes that you get racked, and maybe, just maybe, someone on Twitter tosses a fire emoji your way and affirms that you did something more productive that day than lick the Cheeto dust off your fingers. So come at me, Cal. Come at me all you want. It's not going to matter because a dead man's takes aren't worth a damn. And I'm pretty sure after you. You get bodied like this. You're headed off to the jungle morgue anyway. War embalming fluid, Jimmy.
0: I'm out. Passing. We have not had him on since he made the move to ESPN. And that happens a lot when people make the moves to ESPN. Hey, Cal, are you licking those Cheetos or what? Good beef. All right, so again, I was conflicted. Given what's happening in New York, I didn't really want to start with the Mets, but... Did I really have any choice? When you want to find great rates, organize your finances, or just make smarter money decisions, LendingTree is here for you. With the LendingTree app, you can see all your bank accounts at a glance so you can better understand your spending and saving and build a budget that works for you monitor your credit score, explore ways to improve your credit, and get automatic alerts to protect your identity. And LendingTree can help make sure that you're getting your best deal on loans, insurance, credit cards, and more through their wide network of banks and lenders. LendingTree gives you personalized tips and insights into saving money and reaching your financial dreams. So whether you want to pay off a debt, buy a home, build credit, or just make things a little easier, LendingTree has your back for all your short and long-term goals. There are no subscriptions, no fees, no hassle, just easy, honest, straightforward support to make the most of your money and achieve greater financial health. Download the free Lending Tree app right now and get started. See why thousands of people turn to Lending Tree every day for smarter, easier finances. Terms and conditions may apply. NMLS number 1136. Robert Woods is my guest. Robert, it's been a minute or two since you and I have spoken. How you doing? How is life for you right now? With just over a week to go before the start of the NFL season.
3: Yeah, it's been well. Uh, I know it's been a while since we talked, but just, you know, feeling good, you know, in our new system uh, with, with, with Stafford. But uh, gearing up for September 12th, go against Chicago. Um, but uh, just, just getting ready, all,
0: all focused on that one coming up. All right, so I'm eager to talk to you about the new system and the new quarterback. Let me ask you this. Over the summer, you made the move to change your jersey number to number two. What does that number represent to you, and how fired up are you to have that number once again?
3: Uh, Super fired up. You know, it goes way back to to Pop Warner High School, college for me, Uh, and really just being able to do that here in Los Angeles and now have an opportunity to play with the Rams. For me, it's, it's just, you know, it signifies, just my football journey here in Los Angeles and then being able to wear that at the info level right here at home. Uh, let people know, let kids know, you know, your dreams come true, rocking that number. Um, you know, it's right here at home and it's, it's attainable.
0: I like it. Now, when you talk about a football journey, you're coming off a year where you had more than a thousand yards from scrimmage personally i would argue you're playing your best football of your career over the past few years like when you look back on this journey and when you first got in when you compare yourself to where you were when you first entered the nfl what's been the biggest change or changes in your game
3: uh opportunity um being able to showcase my skills as a as a true receiver um really the targets doubled uh and the and the stats went right with it uh, being able to just get the ball in my hands run with it uh, you know, coming here in this offense, having the quarterback be able to deliver the passes, uh, coaches being able to, you know, showcase my talent. Uh really just coming in this offense that, you know, spreads the ball around and and, and let players be themselves and play free.
0: Robert Woods, my guest. All right, so I want to talk about a few of those things and a couple of things that always come up when people talk about your game. Crossing routes. Yards after the catch, you're known for your work on crossing routes. In fact, you've led the league in targets on crossing routes in the past. This is not an area that a lot of guys want to go to. What does it take to do that, do it consistently, and have success
3: uh toughness um and really just just yeah you you gotta have a lot of trust with with your quarterback being able to protect you running there um and expect obviously you know there, there are chances you're gonna get hit. But you're expecting that, you know, you're splitting it, you're expecting your quarterback to put that ball right on the money to where you're able to run through and split these defenders. But really it's just uh, toughness and trust and, you know, expecting your quarterback to put the ball where it's supposed to be so you can do the rest.
0: I think that's got to be a lot of it. I agree with you. And I think the one part of it that you did not mention, which is pretty apparent, I mean, you got to have a brass set. That's not for everybody, man. That's tough. you got to have a what? A brass set. Brass oh, balls, no. man. You gotta have a big brass set, is what I said, man. Like no, Sean... no,
3: you do. I feel like there's this big defenders in there. They they coming in there to to take your head off. Uh, I mean, you see,
0: you see what goes on on Sundays. I do see what's going on on Sundays. That's why you do it and I watch it. Like Sean McVay said, <laughs> "quote I think it's gutsiness. The receivers coach has a saying, you can't live forever. Obviously, we say right. that as a joke, but I think you're looking for toughness, fearlessness, a no-flinch mentality. That's a direct quote from your head coach. Let me ask you something. Like, Are you wired for that? Were you born with that kind of grit and that fearlessness, or is that something you developed over the years?
3: I would say a little bit of wired, and I would say a little bit of uh, just playing football and developing that skill set, you know, being able to play football at an early age, play on the defensive side. And being able to initiate the contact when I'm coming across the middle, I'm not thinking of 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 the contact because I'm coming across full speed. I'm knowing that they're gonna have to hit a low when I'm when I'm coming across as well. But uh, I would say that that defensive mindset and not being afraid of contact.
0: I like that mentality, right? That it's not just a matter of they have to deal with you as much as you have to deal with them. I kind of like that mentality you have. But the one thing I would say about this, like, it's one thing to have that mentality, but it's like that whole Mike Tyson thing. Everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the face. Like, everybody's (laughs) got a plan until they get blown up by a linebacker or a safety one time, and then they don't want to do it again. What is it about that that keeps you going back out there and continuing to run those routes over and over again?
3: Catching the ball, yep. I would say, like our our, like our coach said, if you're gonna get hit, hit either way. uh, You you catch it or drop it. um, Defender's gonna hit you. My goal, you know, catch it and and have the ball. So once you catch the ball, you get that hit. You know, you had that reward of, you know, just making
0: that big play, whether it's a touchdown, first down, and you know that that hit doesn't matter. We move in the six. We're talking to Robert Woods. All right, so moving the sticks. The other thing about this, it's not just about being willing to do it, and it's not just about being able to make the play or make the catch. You've been among the league leaders in yards after catch for years now. Your teammates always talk about the fact that you're always looking to catch the ball running downhill, like you're going faster. How do you explain that, and then what's your approach once you do get the ball and you secure it?
3: Uh, training. Um, I feel like, you know, a lot of guys – train running routes but don't, you know, train on after once they get the ball in their hands. I would say I train uh, once I catch the ball, just being able to run and finish. Um so it's like a mindset, you know, I'm not I'm not done yet once I you know, once I run my route I still got yards to get, still got places to go. And I think that's the mindset when I am out there running running my route. I'm not thinking just, you know, catch the ball. I'm thinking run through the ball and, and there's more after it. And I think uh in our system and our quarterback, uh, it all works out so perfect with my game being able to get some of these screen passes as well. But just having a quarterback to put put the ball in your hands and place it and let you have that space and, and run with the ball, um all you needed all you needed need that that space and a little bit of room, and we, we're running with it.
0: Robert Woods joining us. I really respect and appreciate that response. All right, so you mentioned the quarterback a few times. What's it been like to work with Matthew Stafford so far, and how would you describe the chemistry that the two of you have built?
3: Yeah, him coming in, I think we re- reacted right away, really, really well. Uh, we crossed paths a little bit on my uh, rookie visit in, in Detroit. Um, seeing him there, but now that we're on the same team, kind of like just just picked up uh, off of that. Just chemistry was strong right away. Coming out here, um, throwing his work ethic was on point. Um, but really, just I say his his leadership and grasping this offense. Um, I was just telling somebody he he has the keys to the car and he's really testing it out and seeing what this car could do. You know, making some adjustments and um, just seeing what he could do with it.
0: Talking to Robert Woods, so when the team makes a move for Stafford, I mean, that's a big swing right there, and they gave up a lot to get him. It seems like it's sending a message, and the message is just getting to the postseason is not enough. We've got to get back to the Super Bowl. Does it feel that way to you? Does it feel like it's Super Bowl or bust?
3: I feel like that every year. Um, you want to go into it, uh, you, you know, your number one goal is to get to that Super Bowl. Obviously, um, each year, you know, your chances increase or or decrease and i think one of these this year um you know our, our chances are pretty high it's like i said it's always too far to bust but our, our chances are pretty high so obviously you just go in that mindset we just stay the course um and play your game no added pressure um a lot of the guys we've, we've been here before know what it takes and it's really just one game at a at a time Um we have the players we have the coaching staff but uh sometimes that's not enough you just got to be consistent.
0: Got to have some luck, too. Robert Woods joining me for a few more moments. <laughs> Let me ask you something. So so many athletes want to go home. They want to return home, and almost nobody gets to do it. But you're entering your fifth year with the Rams. You're from Southern California. You played your college ball at USC. So what's it mean to you to be a Ram and to be playing in Los Angeles?
3: Super cool because uh, the Rams came back to, to L.A. Um, in that in that first year, I had a chance to play them and come to L.A. and play them in the Coliseum when I was at Buffalo, and I thought that was my only chance really to play um, at, at the Coliseum, play in L.A., um, and then come, becoming a free agent. The Rams were coming an, uh, an option, them sitting on the table, and uh, obviously had to jump on that. But just the move of just the Rams coming back to L.A., uh, me having an opportunity to play for them, uh, my career, being able to take off like it did um, coming here, um, it just definitely seemed right to come home, and it uh, feels like
0: I'm definitely in the right place. I think it's great. So one last thought. You know what it's like to grow up here and ball out here, and there's been so many great, great players that come from Southern California. And when you speak of SoCal legends, the team added to Sean Jackson this offseason. What was your reaction when you first heard that he was going to join the team, and then what's it been like working with him?
2: uh super
3: joy as soon as he was a, a, a free agent uh, i was you know hoping that we could sign him uh add to our receiving core um but really just been watching him since long beach probably in the in the cal days um, seeing him do a thing and now he's at our offense back with McVeigh. uh really just a, a threat to this 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 uh defense that we'll face but um really just a joy to have him on his team his speed um his leadership him being a captain showing shown us his experience um,
0: has been a help to
3: all our receivers.
0: You mentioned Pauly. My wife went to Pauly, so I'm pretty uh, intimately... Jack uh, Rabbits. Yeah, Jack Rabbits. Man, there have been so many great ballers. For those who do not understand, Robert, you didn't go there, but you understand that program. It is an amazing powerhouse, an amazing program. When you think about Long Beach Poly, what do you think about? What comes to mind?
4: Uh, Just
3: talent from every position. Um, Making it to colleges and NFL. You got uh Safeties like Darnell Bean, uh, Willie McGinnis, Jarrell Casey. uh, Congrats on his retirement. Um, Mercedes Lewis at tight end. Herschel Dennis at running back. Um, Just so many players all around the field uh, from years and years out. Uh, Juju, um, players are still coming out of there. Uh, Just a consistent program, always at the top, one of the best programs. Um, in California, if not the nation.
0: Yeah, I really respect that you respect that program that much. I mean, those guys you mentioned, it's like they all have something in common, right, man? It's just like not only pedigree, but toughness and class. Man, they lead from the front. They're players. It really is an amazing program. And you're back home doing what you do best. Robert, it had been a minute or so, man. Great to hear your voice. Great to hear your energy. And really good to have you back on the show. Thanks for making time for that. That was fun. Hey,
3: thanks for having me. Also, I want to give a shout-out to Sarah uh, for beating the Jack Jackrabbits this Fast
0: uh, Friday. One hundred percent, man. You know it. Absolutely. Glad you did too. All right, Dan. Thanks for having me. You got it, man. Be good, Robert. Hey, we're back. Making new memories in a new world. You know, I found the best way to hold on to those memories is by turning them into art, art that will last forever from PaintYourLife.com. Now, when I heard about PaintYourLife.com, I thought that is an amazing idea, an amazing idea for birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, etc. But I figured, man, it's got to be expensive, right? No. Not so. These paintings are amazing. The quality is incredible, but truly affordable. It's an amazing value proposition. So if you want to give a truly meaningful gift, you've got to try PaintYourLife.com. Get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. Or combine photos of people or places that you love into one single painting. Choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect. The process is incredible. It's meaningful, it's personal, and it can be cherished forever. At PaintYourLife.com, there is no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited-time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right Twenty percent off and free shipping. To get this amazing offer, text the word Rome to sixty-four zero zero zero. That's Rome to sixty-four zero zero zero. Text Rome to sixty-four zero zero zero. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Terms apply available at paintyourlife.com slash terms. Again, text Rome to sixty-four zero zero zero. The Yankees are once again. Contenders to win it all. Yeah, I said it. Hate all you want. And yes, I'm well aware that the Yankees are currently seven back of Tampa Bay in the AL East. I'm well aware that they're looking at a wild card. But let me say this once again. I did not stutter. I know exactly what I said. The New York Yankees, as of right now, are once again World Series contenders. And no, it's not because of the moves that Brian Cashman made at the deadline when he got Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo. And frankly, I know it's pretty much more of a big head James Kelly thing to say. And it's very sophomoric for me to say it. It's not dignified. Unlike James Kelly, I have words, and I'm not afraid to use them. And I know how to use them. Unlike James Kelly, I have an actual vocabulary and I'm well-educated. But if, in fact, I were James Kelly and somebody were to say to me, hey, Rome, how about those deadline moves by Brian Cashman? How do you think that the two big-time guys he brought in, Gallo and Rizzo, are playing? How would you characterize that? How would you describe that? If, in fact, I were James Kelly, I would say, "Eh, they're playing like ass. (laughs) Fact of the matter is, well, fact of the matter is, as of right now, it's accurate. I wouldn't say it like that. I wouldn't describe it like that, but it's not that it's not true. Kelly would, and he wouldn't be wrong. But despite that fact, I still believe in these guys, and I still think they'll get right. Despite those two, today, on September 2nd, I'm going to say the Yankees are still a threat to rip their 28th World Series championship. And it's because their stars are playing like stars. And most importantly, it's because their ace, Garrett Cole, is pitching like an ace again. Finally. Why do you got to make it about you all the time, old man? Did Alvin take a break? Did Alvin leave to have another kid? Are you there punching up the buttons again? Why is it always about you? I'm talking about Garrett Cole, not Garrett Ritt. My man. Is that all you have to say for yourself? It's always finally, game on. Or, mmm, Amby Dude, you, you have to have another comeback. There's got to be something else other than finally, game on, mmm, Amby Tom Hanks is dead. Actually, he's not. You killed him, but he's not dead. He did not go belly up. He got COVID-19. Boy, you talk about the assumptive close. Well, let's see. This guy's got COVID-19. He's dead. He's belly up. Ritt, you're like not only like a bad take factory, you're a hot take factory. Stop killing people that aren't dead. Anyway, I'm not talking about Garrett Ritt. I'm talking about Garrett Cole. And last night, Newport Beach's finest, Garrett Cole, had one of his best performances ever right up the street at Anaheim Stadium. Garrett Cole, not Garrett Ritt, was absolutely disgusting. He was filthy. He was nasty. On a night that his team needed him, they were riding a four-game losing streak after winning 13 straight, the team's longest winning streak since 61, Cole did what aces do no he did not kill tom hanks like you ritt but there's a warrant out for this arrest there's a warrant out for his arrest for what he did to the lineup or the angels lineup last night because he straight assaulted and abused them swing and a miss got him swing and a miss pulled by him again Swing swing and a miss
4: swing and a miss swing and a miss strikeout number seven Swing and a miss, he strikes out the side. Swing and a miss, change up. Anything as he strikes out his sixth straight batter. And he blows another fastball right by him. And Ohtani struck out three times tonight against Cole. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. Hundred miles an hour. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. Fifteen strikeouts. That's an ace. I was going to say, how
0: many guys did he strike out? All of them? Is he that good? Or are they that bad? Yes. That was a big boy performance. And you heard that right. He struck out the greatest player in the history of the world, Shohei Ohtani, three times. 15 Ks in seven innings of one run ball. And that ends the Yankees' losing streak. Oh, and by the way, they covered the run line too. Something that never happens when I bet it. They won four to one. So he generated 32 swing and misses. 32. That's a career high. His 15 strikeouts were the most as a Yankee. And manager Aaron Boone was hyped. Dominant. Um, you know he's obviously had some really
2: good ones in his career, and certainly with us the last two seasons. That, for me, was up there. I mean, that was a guy in control. I felt like a step ahead of those guys all day. I felt like his fastball was probably as good as it's been all year and just had a little bit of everything
0: going. He did. Now, if you have not been paying attention and you're thinking, yeah, cool, Rome, this dude has not been the same since, you know, the world found out what spider attack was.
4: And how do you ever use spider attack while pitching? Um I
2: don't I don't know I I I don't know if uh I don't know quite I don't quite know how to answer that to be honest. Um I mean
0: I mean that is still an insane answer and one of the more awkward Things that I've ever heard. An insane answer that I do not have enough time to play to its completion. And to you people who are questioning, I would say you were correct. You were correct in what you had to say about that guy at that time. He was below not good for an extensive time this summer after that went down. But since coming off the COVID list, he has been the same Old Garrett Cole, the guy was worth every single cent of that $324 million contract that he signed with that team. Before he surrendered last night's run in the sixth, he had pitched 21 and two-thirds innings of scoreless ball. Now, 4 39 strikeouts, four walks in 24 and two-thirds innings since coming back. He's now pitched himself right back into AL Cy Young Award consideration. But more importantly, it comes back to my earlier comments about the Yankees and the Yankees being legitimate contenders now. He said that he was starting to smell October baseball around the corner, and now he's got that October ace look. You tell me, which pitcher in this postseason would you take on the bump over a locked-in Garrett Cole? Name one guy right now. One guy over a locked-in Cole, who would you take? That's what I thought. I also mentioned, you know, this guy can only take the ball once a week, right? So how are they going to get it done? Why are they contenders? Because their stars are playing like stars. Not only Cole, but Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge are playing out of their minds right now. Stanton a year ago had every Yankee fan freaking out that they had to pay this guy for another seven years. Nobody's questioning that right now. He's hit 25 home runs, he is murdering the ball, and he went one game in all of August without getting on base. Then you have Judge. Judge jumped ship for the 30th time this year. He's also getting on base at an extremely high rate. Yes, he strikes out a lot. But I mean, look at this dude's strike zone. He's basically an NBA small ball center playing Major League Baseball. Except this year, he owns the lowest strikeout percentage and swing and miss rates of his entire career. And because we're so in awe of how this guy looks at the plate, I think people lose sight of how truly good this guy is defensively. He's a great outfielder. Not good, great. So Yankee fan, yes, I was concerned for you right around the all-star break. Actually, that's not true. I'm a professional and I cannot get caught up. I will say, though, I did get caught up in one thing. There was one guy that I was concerned about. A legend from the Bronx. One legendary member of the Bronx who I do love. Yeah, I know. I'm not supposed to play favorites. But my dude John in New York is a legend. John's my dude. John always will be my dude. But honestly, I'm not sure that John himself could handle another Yankee letdown. John, in New York. How you doing, John?
4: Thank you, Jim, for taking my call. Jim, that interview that you did the other month with heavyweight champ Del Monte Wilder, that was like the best interview that I ever heard in my whole life, Jim. Jim, your interviews are the most awesome interviews in the history of radio. Jim, Jim, you're literally my bestest friend in the whole wide world. Jim, thank you, Jim. Thank you. That's
0: not a good call. no. You don't like that car. I don't like that. Call. Hey, Alvin. Mm-hmm. Not a very you'll car. run that guy, but you'll let Mark and Hollywood just do whatever he want. No, thank you, John. Hey, John. Thank you, John. Hey, John. You're my dude. John, I got your back. So, uh, not only do I have your back, I've got good news for you. I think that your guys look like they can do it. Not only make it in, but make a deep run when they get in. They are nice. And you can thank Garrett Cole, not Garrett Ritt, for that. Finally, because if it we're up to you, Ritt, when Garrett Cole did get COVID nineteen, you probably would have tried to kill him too. And sort of Garrett Ritt, Garrett uh, Cole, he went belly up. Yankee fans, sorry about that. So does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live. Another that lets you stream your favorite shows and you're watching sports highlights on your phone and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for all the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a very simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. And it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. I have it. I use it. I love it. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part, there is no annual contract. Get rid of all that clutter and all that confusion and get your TV together once and for all with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com that's directtv.com compatible device required content varies by package my guest is chris finch chris it is so good to have you on the show how are you i'm great jim appreciate having me on Listen, really good to have you on because it's a conversation that I've been looking forward to for quite some time, Chris, because I'm fascinated by your background. Before we get into all of that, your days in Europe, your days in the D-League, training camp is coming up pretty soon, and the season opener is not that far away. So what are the days like for you right now as you get ready for the start of both?
1: Yeah, well, just fortunate to have gotten a little break here over the last two weeks coming out of Summer League, Um, but things are ramping up quick. You know, as you know, Jim, we're... We're missing a month of the summer uh, with, this, with the start being pushed back to its normal time, which we're happy about. But we're really feeling it right now. It's it's crazy now, September. We've got our guys coming into the gym, um, getting some runs coming here. and Now we're starting to formalize our staff and our all of our systems and our philosophies, etc.,
0: Listen, it's good to be talking T-Wolves ball on this show. I mean that sincerely. (laughs) And you were named head coach of the team in the middle of last season. Kind of unusual in the sense that you came over from the Raptors in the middle of the year. And at that time, Minnesota had the worst record in the league. So what was it, Chris, about the opportunity that appealed to you the most?
1: Well, you know, first is the opportunity. I mean, there's only 30 of these jobs. And when you're trying to break in, you got to be ready to go and take whatever one comes your way and feel confident you can do the job. Um, you know, I've had a working relationship with a lot of people in the front office here and previous stops, mostly in Houston, so I felt comfortable, and I really like the talent. You know, we got high-end talent with D'Lo and Carl Anthony Towns. The young talent is uh, really, really good, too, with with, uh, Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels, two draft picks last season. They really, you know, we feel like they're going to you know, all mesh pretty well, even though on a slightly different time- timeline. So I thought there was a lot of things here to kind of really rally around.
0: We're talking to Chris Finch. Listen, I get that. If I were you... And I saw that roster and be like, you know what? There's a lot of really positive stuff, a lot of really good things going on here. At the same time, when you come in in the middle of a season, you do have to make a transition. And you've got to quickly establish yourself and build relationships and build trust and do so on the fly. While at the same time, you're trying to win games. What was that process like and how did you attack that?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great uh, synopsis of exactly what happened. So it's the first thing for me, Jim, was like I had to try to figure out like what things can I control and change now versus things I can can can't really worry about till the off season or or the next season. So um, there were things we could maybe shape as the season went along, or changes that we could make right away and And that was my priority. So going into the all star break, I felt confident that we could like tweak and defense enough, be a little bit more aggressive there. That would be an immediate change. Over time, we offense would kind of morph into what we wanted, um, and we we'd really kind of switch the emphasis, playing playing back through cat at all different levels of the floor, um, and then you know just some things we weren't able to address at all until this off season. So.
0: It seems to me, though, Chris, not not only that, but it's like, how aggressive can you be, especially with your star players? And to hear it from them, that it's really interesting. As an example, Ricky Rubio said, quote, for not being a head coach in the league and being the first time he's a head coach, he has big balls. He's not afraid of the superstars. He's not afraid of telling people how he sees things. And to me, that's really high praise. And especially coming from a star player, where did that mindset and approach come from?
1: Well, I think I uh, appreciate these guys allowing me to coach them um, when they come in. You know, we have guys that are highly coachable, high IQ guys. They understand that we need to make some change and we had to address some truth. And most importantly, we just had to get our competitive less, compet- competitiveness level up every single night. Um, and, you know, I've been lucky to be around a lot of great players in this league at different stops along the way. And it's a, it's a little bit of a cliche, but these guys want to be coached. And they want to know that you're going to hold themselves and yourself and everyone else accountable to the processes that you guys you know, are, 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 are trying to play to.
0: Now, the fact is, Chris, you've been around some really good players, but you've also been around some really good coaches. I mentioned off the top that I look forward to this conversation because your journey really is fascinating, and I want to get into this. You were overseas. You were in the D League. But in the NBA, you worked with some of my favorite guys, Kevin McHale, Alvin Gentry, Michael Malone, and Nick Nurse. How much did they influence you, and what did you take away from your time with these guys? Yeah,
1: and influenced me greatly, all different – Styles, um, you know, working with Mac was unbelievable because I got to see the game through a big man's eyes. Like most coaches, kind of been perimeter players, guards, etc. So Mac, he saw the game through through a big man's eyes, and you know, I've been with a lot of really quality big guys, whether it be Jokic or Anthony Davis or DeMarcus Cousins. So was able to apply that. Um, Alvin Gentry and his wide open style um, and his players first approach uh, is something that I've also adopted as kind of philosophically in line with in a lot of ways, offensively, Mike Malone, the attention to detail is incredible. Like one of the best preparation coaches I've ever been around. Um, and he gives a lot of freedom to his staff. As all these guys have been give they've given me great opportunity to just do my work. And then Nick and I have a long history. We competed against each other, became friends in Europe. We were on the same staff with the Olympic team in 2012. We're a very good friends, and his basketball mind is probably one of the best I've ever been around. Just always challenging,
0: different ways to
1: do things. I found it really invigorating.
0: I love that breakdown of every one of those guys. Chris Finch is my guest. This is also, I think, tremendous. If we go back, your college ball... You played at Franklin and Marshall, and there's some amazing stories about your competitive nature and your drive. But the story goes that, among other things, a lot of that competitive nature comes from your mother, Penny, who, Chris, among other things, was a Rockette. That's incredible. Like, what did you learn from your mother growing up?
1: I mean, it was literally practice, pra- like anything else, practice, practice, practice. You had to be dedicated to your craft, the, the time you need to put in, the attention, to detail, the... The ability to go out and put it all on the line for an audition or a show, or, you know, where it's alive. There's no retakes. Uh, and just, it's like anything else, it's a competitive environment.
0: I love that, man. I've seen them. I'd love that that was your takeaway from your mom being a rocket and the way she attacked that thing and the way she went about her craft. And also, like Nick Nurse, you did coach in the British Basketball League also spent time in Belgium and Germany. I I could talk to you for an entire hour about that time alone, but what were those days like and how did they shape you?
1: Well, a lot of people ask me who my coaching mentors were. I I was lucky and I got to be a head coach in Europe at 27. I didn't necessarily have a mentor, but what I had was an incredible trial and error period. Uh, I was fortunate to work in situations that gave me a runway to be successful and also fail, learn, and then adjust and go forward. Uh, and then working in all different leagues, all different environments, whether it it's been Europe or the G League, it's just given me a, kind of a the confidence to deal with ever-changing environments. So me, leaving Toronto in the middle of the season and coming over here, it was just one more part of the wackiness of the rest of my career, if I think about it.
0: You know, right? It's probably not. It, it seems unusual, but given where you've been and what you've done, it probably isn't. It's just the thing, the next thing. You know, before I let you go, you mentioned a couple of your guys. Anthony Edwards is coming off a strong rookie season, and you said the other day that he's actually grown two inches, which is wild to think about and a reminder of just how young he is. What does the next step in his development look like?
1: Uh, man, he, we're so excited for him. You know, he's got to continue to learn the NBA and um you know, obviously get a little bit better defensively. Offensively, He's he's got to shore up his shot, a little bit more consistency. But the things that we've asked him to be good at, he's already really good at. Like, we have the foundation of getting better, getting better finishing. He gets to the rim at a super high rate. He could probably finish a little better with some cleanup. His shot selection offensively can be a little bit better, and uh, that'll improve his shooting. But, like, he's so young – he just doesn't know what he doesn't know yet. His awareness is growing day by day. And what I loved about him, Jim, is he's so coachable. Like, if we ask him to do something, he really goes out and does it and tries to apply it, almost literally so.
0: t Wolves head coach, Chris Finch, is joining us. you got to love that about a young player. Speaking of youth... Carl Anthony Towns has put up enormous numbers ever since he entered the league. He's now entering his seventh season and he's still just 25. The last year and a half has been really tough for him away from the court. How would you describe the relationship that you have built with him? And then what are you looking to see from him this season?
1: Well, he, he's
0: been fast, uh, phenomenal for me. Just coming in here, like he's welcomed
1: me, embraced me. And we've a, a very good open dialogue and he's coachable and wants wants to win like he's at the point where now he just wants to win and he's embracing his teammates um and he's 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 had a tough tough couple of years as we know but he's had an unbelievable off season. transferred his body and he's he's really really excited for what's coming up next every right before the last two seasons he was all nba and there's no reason that he can't get back there
0: Chris Finch, my guest. Hey, Chris, one last thought. You won seven of your last 12 last season. I know you're looking ahead, but obviously, and, and you're not going to hang a banner for winning seven out of 12, but at the same time, how important was it to end that season on a positive note and to feel that improvement and that progress and send your guys into the offseason on that positive note?
1: Yeah, it was everything for us, Jim. We, you know, we had a chance and a choice to, you know, whether to shut it down and play for a pick, but we didn't want to do that. If you're trying to change a culture you know, results matter. We want our guys to feel that we have enough in this building to be successful every single night. Um, and those guys really bought in and they felt the hope that we have. And they liked the t- their team and their teammates and playing together. And that's, Really going to pay more dividends than any improved draft pick we could have gotten.
0: Mm, I love that point. He is entering his first full season as Minnesota head coach. They're going to open up their year against Houston on October 20th. He is Chris Finch. Chris, I mentioned I was looking forward to it. Great job. Great to have you on the show. And I'd love to do it again in season. Great to talk to you.
1: Appreciate it, Jim. Anytime. Thanks for having me on.
0: So you're hanging out with some friends and you're putting back a few pops. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride, but nah, you live nearby. You can make it home. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, what are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even then, what's the worst thing that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill somebody. Everybody knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic. They're often deadly. However, that still does not stop everybody from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads in order to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe. Plan ahead and get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Drive sober. Or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA. If there's one thing that I think that everybody knows anything about the association should know by now. You do not mess with Jimmy Butler. You don't mess with Jimmy Buckets. And you do not tell him what to do. Ever. You just don't. This man is the alpha. It is no secret. Because he makes sure that everyone knows it. This dude is so in control that you have to be careful how you even pose a question to him at a press conference. You have to watch every single word. You get too fancy with it, and this could happen. The team, obviously you won 10 of 11, so the standings tell us one thing, but does it feel like you're coalescing as much as the record shows into something? I mean, 10 of 11, pretty special.
2: Don't do that. Come on now. What the
0: hell does that mean? I mean, you won 10 of 11, so you're you're obviously showing how good you can be, I would say. Uh,
1: well, you said a big word. You you confuse
0: me. Oh, cool. Well, uh, that, that means coming together, congealing, gelling. You could have just said that. Um, this guy's the best. Hey, man, you think you're better than me? You think you're smarter than me? Don't you drop that C word that on mean? me, yo. <laughs> Why don't you bring that around here coalesce is that what, what you just said to me that what the hell does that mean what a great response uh, not like I would answer that but I'm not really sure what that means he just straight up the hell does that mean don't do that Come on. and, and then don't do that come on now man don't don't you bring that around here don't do that that's how you become a legend especially in these parts that's how you earn your respect around here man James Buckets just plain running the room any room every room If he's in the room, he's in charge, and nobody can say otherwise. And don't you dare bring any of that SAT bullcrap around here. You cut that coalesce crap out, and you shoot this guy straight. You got a question, you ask him the question. You shoot straight, because that's what Jimmy does. That's how you do it. Everybody should know that by now. Yet the very last person on the face of the planet— Who should have to learn that lesson is this man's agent. Somehow that's the dude in need of an education this week. And of course, Jimmy was more than happy to serve it up. According to Butler, his agent, Bernard Lee, asked that Jimmy cut down on the cussing on social media earlier this week. Which again, if you know anything at all about Jimmy, that is a pretty freaking bold request and by bold I mean dumb I mean insane I mean doomed I mean dumb the same Jimmy Butler who said that last year he was thriving in Miami because he gets to quote cuss people out when they're not doing their job that guy that guy who takes orders from absolutely nobody He doesn't take orders, he gives orders. And you don't bring words like coalesce around him and you really don't tell him to cut down on his cussing, especially when you technically work for him. All right, that's not like his coach or Pat Riley making a nice suggestion. That's a guy that he's scratching checks to telling him what to do. Yeah, and yes, I know you want people around you who tell you what you need to know and not what you want to hear. Unless you're Jimmy Butler, and then you don't do that. So you got to know there was going to be a response, right? And you have to know that that response was going to be good, right? Well, early yesterday morning, Buckets posted an Instagram, on Instagram, fresh off a workout. And as you might imagine, that post did not disappoint. Good
1: morning,
3: everybody. I was told not to cuss yesterday by Bernard Lee. Adios. Adios. Buenos
1: dias. Hope you mother have a good
0: day. Adios. Buenos dias. Hope you MF bombs have a nice day. It's got to be one of my favorite MF bombs ever. And the most Jimmy Buckets MF bomb ever. Because it was almost a sincere, wholesome MF bomb. Got the point across, right? It gets a strong point across, but it also makes me smile. Like, if we all greeted each other every morning like that, would we not all be happier? Put a smile on your face. Buenos dias. Hola, mf No messing around here. No drama here. Just my guy Buckets doing bucket things. Jimmy being Jimmy, which is pretty much the best thing there is. In fact, I need more of that. It's kind of like a tease. Things have been a little quiet on the James Buckets front since the postseason ended. And I get that, too. Like, the postseason ended prematurely. You know he's not happy about that. You know what that means. He's probably getting up at 3 o'clock every single morning, going in the gym, getting his lift on. But then, on top of that, he is doing some business away from the floor. And remember, that business started off like a joke. You might remember Big Face Coffee, The coffee shop, you know, quote unquote, the coffee shop that Butler set up out of his hotel room in the Orlando bubble, the one where he was charging other players 20 bucks a cup because he realized that there was nowhere else to score quality Joe there. Well, believe it or not, Mr. Buckets has been turning that little stroke of trolling genius into a full-fledged actual business. My man is seriously passionate about his MFing beans. And he's apparently going to take that passion to the next level. He has filed for an MFing trademark for the name Big Face Coffee. His website, BigFaceBrand.com, is teasing an upcoming major launch. The Big Face brand, the Instagram account, already has nearly 50K followers. And just last month, he made an enormous investment reportedly in a huge supply of world-class beans which he bought from the El Salvador Cup of Excellence, one of the most prestigious in the entire world. In total, he committed to buying more than 1,000 pounds of beans. Still no official announcement on what he plans to do with all that coffee. Jimmy is playing it close to the vest. Maybe he wants to drink it all himself, or maybe not. But if I may make a suggestion that is totally respectful and absolutely in no way telling him what to do because I know better, Big face, bring it on. Let's get this thing rolling, big dude. And if you open up a Southern California location or two, I will gladly consume your coffee. Hell, I would even pay 20 bucks a throw. 20 M effing bucks a cup. Hope you mother have a good day. You too, Jimmy. My man, welcome back. I've missed you. We go to Nashville, Josh. Good to have you, Josh. What's up?
2: Jimmy, what up? What's going on? Dude, I got to tell you, I know you're asking this question. uh, How the hell do you drive into a house? I I know it's rhetorical, Jimmy, but uh, I'm uniquely qualified to answer this question. Um, It should be known I do so with zero pride whatsoever. Uh, It's not like something that, you know, I open my resume with this story. But uh, 20 years ago, out with the boys... Having a few pops at the bowling alley, maybe a white Russian or two, I can make it home. It's only a mile. Didn't happen. Jumped the curb, go through a guy's shed, through the kitchen, parked it right in his living room. Uh, Keep in mind, Jim, at this time, I live in Texas, and I'm thinking, all hell's about to break loose, man. Every house in Texas got guns. I got to get out of here climb through the back window, out the hole that I left in this guy's house, run around the block to the front door, midnight, ring the doorbell. Jimmy, you talk about surreal. Somebody opens their front door and you see your truck parked in their living room. But, Jimmy, safety first. My flashers were on. That's right. Before climbing out of the car in this haze, white Russian induced haze I thought, hey, I got a good idea put the flashers on because I'm not parked in a legal parking spot Jimmy, like I said not proud, just the facts um, don't drink and drive, folks
0: Josh in Nashville that sounds like one of those NHTSA commercials I do you go to the bowling alley, you have a few pops maybe a white Russian you think to yourself, yeah, I can make it home What's the worst thing that could happen? I could lose my license. I could run somebody over. I could kill somebody. I could jump the curb and go into a house. There are cops on the roadway. They're looking to write you a ticket. Click it or ticket. Don't drive drunk. So Josh in Nashville goes, hey, I know. Paid for by NHTSA. Uh, Josh in Nashville, uh, and again, I'm not making light of any of this. Josh said, hey, Jimmy, I know you asked it rhetorically. How do you drive into a house? He goes, well, I can answer it because I did. How about him laying out that, yeah, well, I had too much to drink, and it was a really bad night, and it's not like I'm proud of it. What, you mean you don't lead with that? Hey, nice to meet you. I'm Josh. You know, once I drove into a house. How about this guy's point that I still had the wherewithal to leave my hazards on just so people could see it? You want to make sure that nobody is driving down the road and there's a car parked off to the side that you can't see, so you turn your hazards on. Hey, bro, let me ask you something. After you drove through this guy's kitchen and you had the wherewithal to turn the hazards on, did you also put out some flares on the front lawn and then did you wait? Did you wait to exchange licenses with that house that you crashed into and insurance? This guy's incredible. How about his point that, hey man, and by the way, I'm calling from Nashville, but when I did it, I was in Texas, and every house in Texas has a gun. Imagine this guy walking around the house with the homeowner. Hey man, all right, why don't we take a little walk around? Just a little fender bender. You can rub that out. Look, it's nothing. It's nothing. Are you sure that your house did not look like this earlier? Are you sure that your house did not look like this when you bought it? Are you sure this is not the way your house always looks? With my sedan in your kitchen. In fact, if there's not a picture, no pics, didn't happen. I need to see documentation. I need to see a picture of your house prior to this evening before you tell me or accuse me of driving into your kitchen. So that's two for me. The Miano Pan did it, and Josh in Nashville did it. Let's go to Wisconsin. Jared in Wisconsin. Jared, what's going on? How are you? Good, Jim. How you doing? Good, dude. Good.
4: So I had to call after hearing Ryan in Sucktown inhale his microphone yesterday. In the parts that I could understand, he sounded like a slightly more polished version of Matt in Cleveland, but with worse takes. Romy, his voice was shaking so high, it sounded like he was playing Mark in Hollywood in the jungle musical, which may actually work out for him because the Sacramento Community Theater is probably the only place that, that would ever show. And I thought it was cute calling himself part of the Town Mafia, but in reality, the only thing he's guilty of is stealing two minutes from six billion listeners. Ryan, the closest thing to the mafia that you'll get is your job washing dishes at an Italian restaurant in suburban Sacramento. Jim, he was hoping to have a smooth transition to the phones, but it was more like Tebow's conversion to tight end or Kathleen's, well, whatever. Uh, War the Brewers taking out the NL West garbage and wore Chris and Southeast Wisco helping put Carnap Nation to sleep when he calls, I'm out.
0: Jared in Wisconsin, my man, you did not fare much better than the guy that you came in to take a run at. Slightly, but not much. Good night.